listening to Resurrection Life Podcasts with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about spiritual warfare. We hear a reflection on the life of St. Maximilian Kolbe, and we listen to a poem by Brian Fink, Hermitage. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. And with me as sometimes is... Liz O'Neill. How are you doing, Liz? I'm very well, Welcome to the podcast table. So we always start with weather reports from whenever we are recording. Uh, actually, it's a beautiful day. It's much more beautiful than it was yesterday. It was a... It was a Rather a Scottish day yesterday. It was a very Scottish day yesterday. I felt quite homesick. It was a very pro-life uh, March day uh, from That's my right. experience. We're recording this on the 9th, so the uh, dedication of St. John Lateran, our uh, mother mm-hmm. church, uh, which is 1,699 years old. Really? Next wow. year, 1,700 years. The actual building is or just no, the site? the site. Okay. So not to denigrate it, but I was going to be very surprised if it was yeah. the... Yeah, that's got one of those impressive octagonal baptistries outside mm-hmm. yeah. the church. That that was my first kind of, this is powerful, octagonal. We, we gather every eighth day that, uh, you know, the series that, um, what is it, uh, Symbolon yeah. talks about the, the mm-hmm. sacraments, the, the one that talks about Baptism is filmed there at, oh, at the baptismal okay. fountain. That's one of my uh, my favorite thing always with uh, RCA is I would take them to our baptism font, and I would I would point out that it has eight sides, and I'd ask them why do you think that? And most of the time it was just because that's an interesting design. Exactly. <laughs> no, there's actual meaning behind this that we live in the eighth day as Christians. We've kind of broken out of the natural seventh seven day rhythm into the the new day of yeah, the resurrection. You know, we uh, the weather was dismal yesterday for the first March for Life, which was on the anniversary of the defeat of, actually the, the victory of Proposal 3, right? We tried to defeat mm-hmm. Proposal 3. Why don't you tell us, remind us what Proposal 3... Um, so this was the work that we did all last fall to try to... Um, thanks in large measure to you and your office, frankly. Yeah, we worked hard. Um, uh, David Kerr and the communications office also did yeoman's work um, to fight this. But uh, yeah, so this was the writing in into our state constitution, a fundamental right for um, abortion. Uh, but it really kind of went beyond just a simple Roe v. Wade. It, it really tried to expand it into new areas, um, uh, removing uh, any kind of accountability from doctors that's right. Uh, even even the cleanliness of the exactly. clinics, uh, and and that got continued this week as we saw the um, Reproductive Health Act was passed, uh, which again took away the requirements for doctors to have to record how many abortions that they've done, or to record when a woman was injured or even killed 
doing an abortion. So I don't exactly see how this is a win for women. Um, it seems like it's more of a win for insurance companies and, and doctors. And, and to anticipate where we're going here for the enemy mm-hmm. who hates all life and hates women in a particular way because of the gift that they have to bear life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the legacy that they live from Our Lady. You know, Our Lady was the was the doorway to life itself. Um, and the line in the Magnificat she, that she was blessed among women. Uh, in one sense, I think I, at least I've always read it this way: is yes, yeah, she's above all women, but the vocation of motherhood. That she has, uh, through her uh, motherhood, has really raised it up, uh, and so, um, yeah. So, I, uh, and on, on Tuesday of this week, we saw what happened in Ohio, which is basically a redux of of what happened here a year mm-hmm. ago. Exactly. Uh, and do you remember what you tweeted about it? Um, I've been really hot on Twitter this week. I, I've been so, a little so what, un- what I un- saw, un- I, don't, I don't read all of your tweets, uh, Rich, but you talked about uh, this is what happens when you try to win a battle without, oh. without creating a pro-life culture. Yeah, that was kind of my sense last year, is that we, uh, we, had wa- we had been so focused on the legal battle and not on the pro-life culture that we won the legal battle with the defeat of Roe v. Wade but we didn't have a culture that was ready for that. And so the backlash and the kind of the, the almost like when you pull a rubber rubber band and it snaps back, and that's I feel like what we've been experiencing for the last 18 months is uh, a culture that was not ready uh, for the pro-life message. And so um, that's what we're left with now is now in, in a lot of places we're in an even worse legal situation than we were with Roe v. Wade. Right. I mean, with the, with the law that was just passed this week, partial birth abortion is now again legal in Michigan. That was not legal under Roe v. Wade. That's so right. we're in a worse so legal... So those limits that our legislature worked long and hard uh, to accomplish were, were wiped out uh, through uh, Proposal 3 and then even further with the quote-unquote reproductive health mm-hmm. act. And so uh, it, it always needs to start with building a culture. Um, now, it's a little bit tricky because law in some ways forms culture, but culture forms law. There's kind of a give and take. Um, but I think we would do well at this point to try and focus on the life message, the spiritual warfare that we need to engage in, um, the penance uh, uh, that we need to perform for our for our nation and our and our society, uh, but then to show the witness of life, so that um, the the false claim that we often get thrown against us that we only care about somebody before their birth really just starts to look like nonsense. Yeah, I think. It was impressive at the rally to see all of those directors of crisis pregnancy centers, mm-hmm. or pregnancy resource centers, being there and uh, just hearing the testimonies of, of women who had had abortions but became activists. Uh, you know, the, they have believed a lie, and our political enemies believe a lie that uh, women's freedom is determined by their ability to prevent and or eliminate uh, a life growing in their womb. Mm -hmm. It's tragic. 
Yeah, I was listening to Father Chris Aylar, I think I'm saying his name correctly, and he was asking a question about abortion that I think lots of Catholics must ask themselves, which is, how does God not act? And you see the number of innocent lives that have been taken through abortion in the last uh, number of decades. And one of his claims I found really interesting was he believes that St. Faustina's Divine Mercy Chaplet is actually one of the things that has been given in penance and reparation to this terrible sin mm. and is holding back the justice um, or the the, the, um, the, the punishment. Judgment, the judgment, judgment yeah. yeah, you're right, that we should receive. Um, it was a very interesting talk that you gave online uh, recently about that. Um, yeah, because uh, barring um, sins against God himself... Right. I can't think of anything worse that we can commit as human beings than the murder of innocent children in their in their mother's womb. Right. Well, and and it, it isn't. Uh, there's become an even. Uh, it, it's more perverse, more twisted. There's almost shouting your abortion, celebrating your abortion. Uh, it's almost a defiant. It is satanic just there, and I'm not calling the people satanic, but, but they're, they're, the ideology is against the goodness of creation and is diabolical. And, uh, you know, I've been noticing over the last three, three and a half years an increase in spiritual warfare, and I uh, wanted to talk today about that. We're, we're in this season. The last time we spoke on the podcast, we talked about you know, the reality of the enemy mm -hmm. and the evil one and the facts, fascination, the fixation with uh, the dark powers. Every year around this time, we see in the theaters all of these horror films mm -hmm. yeah. and, and other even stories about the exorcist, um, mm -hmm. which is a kind of fascination with the enemy. But we also know that there can be seemingly innocent dalliance with Ouija boards or tarot cards and things like that. And it seems sensible in light of uh, a homily that Father Gordon gave a few weeks ago at, uh, at St. Thomas and St. John's, uh, witchcraft and New Age. He's just talking about it. And you, Liz, have been viewing quite a few, yeah. if, if you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> have you been obsessed? <laughs> YouTube's of... of, of. Father Chad Ripperger. Father Chad Ripperger, and it's kind of interesting. He, I think I'd said to you, Father, recently that uh, it's been interesting that both Father Chad Ripperger and also I think Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, and there might even be other priests who are exorcists, are actually being very public right now. And in the past, we always were kind of, uh, we try to avoid even knowing who the exorcist of a particular diocese was. They didn't speak out. It was, I think there was an eagerness not to sensationalise or in some way um, provoke some, you know, superstitious reaction or something. But these exorcists, including Father Ripperger, are speaking out really, I think, because they think people really need to know this. Mm -hmm. They need to know how to avoid um, demonic... Um, entrances to their lives on a variety of different levels. And so I found that really fruitful and it's made me, um, the good fruit of it, I think, has been uh, to pray more and to consider more um, how I 
um, make sure that I am not in any way allowing anything that is of the enemy into the world, into the world around me. One thing that someone asked Father Chad that I thought was kind of uh, helpful was he, they asked him, uh, are the demons more powerful? Because we're certainly seeing so many awful things go on. We don't even need to talk about them. We all know the world we're living in right now. And he said, no, the demons themselves are not more powerful per se. Uh, it's just that more people are sinning and therefore they're, they have more freedom to work in yeah, the, the world. The, the, the holiness of the, the people of God, uh, we, we are uh, a sign of contradiction to the world. And we actually, the Lord uses us as salt, light, and leaven. And to the extent that, that uh, belief wanes, the evil one has a freer hand. You know, one of the things that, that uh, Father Gordon listed is things to avoid in our lives. And, and if we share something in this podcast that you remember from your youth, take it to confession and uh, confess the sins. Most of the time when we get initially exposed to these things, it is in our youth and our relative innocence. We may have a sense of, of kind of fascination uh, I remember going in the bathroom at my elementary school and uh, flicking a light on and off and, you know, the, the Bloody Mary yeah. thing. I, I never saw anything, but guys would say they saw. I have no idea what you were even supposed right. to see. But there, there's a sense in which we can, we can live this, uh, this way. But let me just list some of these. Avoid pagan belief systems, he writes. Uh, Reiki, Santeria, Voodoo, Shamanism. Uh, I was talking to my brother... Yesterday, and some friends of his who have spiritual openness, uh, they've had some Christian past, but they were down in New Orleans and they brought home a voodoo doll, right? Mm-hmm. And she has a, a knee that is, is causing her pain, so she strapped the voodoo doll to her. I mean, this yeah. kind of uh, openness. Well, when we crack that door, the evil one takes advantage of it. Some other things, obviously, uh, Wicca witchcraft, power crystals, mantras, burning sage for protection from evil, uh, superstitious objects, we, I've got a rabbit's foot, etc., seances, channeling, Ouija boards, medium, yoga. Now, we can say yoga exercise, but yoga is by definition a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual practice. And I'm not demonizing people who practice yoga, but you're always dancing on the edge and you're opening yourself potentially to uh, uh, evil powers, evil influences. Um, you know, this. I saw a film out recently talking about a seance. Well, you don't call up the spirits from, from the dead. Rod Dreher is writing now increasingly about uh, extraterrestrials, and his conviction and others is that these are actually uh, demons— that are manifesting in particular ways. And the, the potential that they have to have an influence on us, that is becoming a more fascinating religious pursuit. Uh, extraterrestrial, uh, UFO, what are they called now? Unidentified uh, UAFs or something. Yeah. I don't know what that stands for, but in any case. Um, so for us, and one of the other things that 
it, it's important. If you have Freemasonry in your background, there's some prayers that you can pray, and it ought to be all the members of your family that pray these things, because I, maybe you can talk a little bit about this, because what can happen is if, if the, the spirits get released from you, they can, they can kind of move sideways on your, in your family line. Didn't you right. say something about that? Uh, and from Father oh, yeah, Chen. Yeah, actually, he, he was talking about um, when we are, you know, we ourselves may be avoiding, a, you know, a demonic attack by the things that we're doing, but the evil one will use our family members. To, if he can't get at us, he will use those that we love and that we care about because that's the next thing, isn't it? You mm. know, the, the uh, Freemasonry thing is really interesting to me. I believe it began in Scotland. I'm ashamed to say, but uh, one thing well, we don't we don't hold it against. No. <laughs> you know, enough things have started in the United States that we'll probably, yeah, we that, probably that's be. true. You, you, you've got an interesting record. So, um, but one thing about the Freemasonry thing, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were a bit, "Oh, come on! Just because my grandfather was part of some Freemasonry lodge, why would I have any spiritual?" you know, effect from that, you know, and they quoted the, the, you know, the thing of the sins of the fathers not being visited on the children. But think about it for a moment. If you have a, some sin in your family, don't you inherit some of the difficulties that come from it, even though it's not your fault? If there's addiction or um, a proneness to something in your family, isn't it the case? Yeah, I, it, that's affected my life. Yeah, you at know? a very natural level. If you have right. a father that went out and gambled away the whole family's uh, assets, now you're uh, poor. That's <laughs> I mean, right. Like, well, and, and the evil one wants to get us all to the place of desperation uh, and ultimately to to uh, uh, end ourselves, right? right. And, and so the, the debilitating effects of this addiction or that addiction, rivalry. The evil one is involved in all of our sins. Right. He doesn't cause them, but the spirits can attach to us when we have a habit of sin or when we open the door to an evil spirit, we can be influenced. doesn't mean possession, but it can be oppression. I think you were talking about circumcession or something like that, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, so uh, this is, I know a lot more about this from after buying Father Chad's book. Dominion. Which, this is Dominion, little, little which I, I'm not recommending it. I'm not Dominion. recommending it. I thought you were going to say it's a little book. It is not a little book. It's, it's, a, man, it's a monstrous book. And this is the layperson's version. Apparently the priest version is... Um, so obviously he's an expert on different levels of demonic oppression and it's been really helpful to me to kind of understand there's not just possession, there's other levels, oppression. Um, obviously, and circumcision I think is kind of even lower than that where it's not actually that the evil one has a foothold in your life but he is able through certain circumstances to get in. And one example he gives is um, text messaging and he said that he, he says that demons are able to um, influence the person who's reading the text to think that something is being said in a, you know, in a negative, uh, pejorative way that's not actually being meant well, the, the, by the we, person. We've all had that situation where you try yeah. to resolve a problem through not just text but through emails and it gets read right. not as you intended. The evil one can influence the way it's interpreted. Right. And not to mention Twitter, or I guess it's not Twitter anymore, X. X right. I still call it Twitter. I mean, you know this on a normal, natural level that texting can make it difficult for people to, the nuances aren't there. But how interesting that he says that 
that, um, you know, the evil one, the demons are able to uh, speak into that and to, he, he says, influence the emotions of the person who's reading or sending the text. One of the, one of the books that uh, preceded this book, Dominion, which is a large book, is a small book called Deliverance Prayers. This is by Father Chad Ripperger for use by the laity. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a version of this book for priests, and there are priests prayers that priests can pray with because of the authority that they have, but all of us have authority in Christ. Let me just give you one of the prayers that is included in this book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity, prayer against every evil. So if there's stuff going on in your own life, in your household, you could pray this prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Most Holy Trinity, Immaculate Virgin Mary, angels, archangels, and saints of heaven, descend upon me. Please purify me, Lord, mold me, fill me with thyself, and use me. Banish all the forces of evil from me, destroy them, vanquish them, so that I do thy holy will. Banish from me all spells, witchcraft, black magic, malefice, ties, maledictions, and the evil eye. Diabolic infestations. How's this? Listen, I mean... We're naming them all here. Mm-hmm. Oppressions, possessions, all that is evil and sinful, jealousy, perfidy, envy, physical, psychological, moral, spiritual, diabolical ailments. Cast into hell all demons working these evils, that they may never again touch me or any other creature in the entire world. I command and bid all the powers who molest me by the power of the Almighty God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin Mary, to leave me forever and to be consigned into the everlasting hell. Yeah, that's a, that's a prayer. Yeah. So you know. these prayers uh, are written and they go into details. And the more exorcists talk about these things, and Father Chad talks about it, you realize that, that the evil spirits can actually come through every mode of communication, through uh, utility, wires, and pipes. We need to pray against these things. Yeah. You might think, well, this is crazy. Well, wait a minute. He is, the enemy, is envious of our incarnation. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which we have, so there's, a, there's a, something drawn to the physicality and uh, his desire is to deceive us, to get us trapped in patterns of sin and ultimately despair. Right. So you were mentioning about the authority that we have. You know, priests through their ordination have authority um, that's much more broad and wide ranging. But uh, those of us that are lay people, we have authority um, in our homes. That's right. Um, spouses have authority over each other. So this is one thing that my wife and I have done is prayed uh, authority over the spirits that might be um, affecting each other, authority over your children. Uh, grandparents have authority over their grandchildren. Um, and so we need to be uh, owning that authority over uh, through the power of our baptism, really, uh, over those that we have authority over. Um, there's one prayer in there I particularly like. It's called the, uh, this is the Deliverance Prayers book, the Punishing Prayer. And the prayer is that, any demon that is bothering me might be punished by the worst, the thing that makes him suffer the most. I, I almost have yeah, this memorized. Okay. The yeah. thing that su- makes him suffer the most. And for 10 minutes more after he stops bothering me, <laughs> just so that he gets the point. <laughs> well, and, and one of the powerful <clears throat> things about these deliverance prayers is this idea. W- one of the things that C.S. Lewis has talked about it is that the devil is fundamentally weak. 
he pretends to be much stronger than he is. Mm -hmm. And that punishing prayer makes clear, no, I've got authority. Now, every power that the enemy has is power that we have given him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why he, he has gotten very shrewd at lying to us to get us to doubt God's goodness or our lovability or our lovableness. Uh, and so for us to be savvy, and when you and your spouse or you and your children continue to get in, trapped in the same pattern of argument, the evil one is there. Look for the tail of the serpent. That's a line that I learned from my discernment work with St. Ignatius of Loyola. Look for the tail of the serpent. Okay, what's going on here? We are uh, wrought. You know, we're, we're just, our, our relationship is, is, is being rent asunder. Okay, who's happy about that? I sometimes ask people when they come in, they're despondent over their sins. Who's happy about that? Nobody. Oh, no. The enemy is. Mm-hmm. He wants us to, to, to dwell in that sense of, of, of self-rejection, so that we will go back to whatever it is we sin to satisfy the the, the ache of the wound of living. Yeah, I think your point about like who has the power is really important because I think you can either be too open to the spirits, like with the Ouija boards and things like that, or you can be too afraid of it and you can become obsessed with like, oh, it's all around us and we're just right. we're in trouble, the demons. Are, mm-hmm. Number one, uh, we've we've already talked about the authority that we've been given through our baptism, but we have um, we have the 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 presence Great, of the Holy Spirit. Greater is He who is in us than He was in the world. Yeah, and so uh, we have nothing to fear. It's like gotcha. if God is for us, who can be against us? Not even the spirits. You know, we we have to be shrewd because Satan, by nature, has a greater intellect and had greater spiritual powers than we. But through grace. We far outmatch him. And so we don't need to be afraid, but we need to be shrewd. We need to be wise, right? Uh, the, the book of Proverbs constantly talks about the need to be wise. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, constantly returning to the Lord in prayer, having that relationship with him, uh, but also the use of sacramentals, um, the holy water in the home. Um, incense, uh, not incense that you get at, <laughs> at, a, at a new age store or something, that's but right. like, you know, holy incense that's been blessed. Um, my parents used to use that in the home. Uh, when the kids would start fighting, my dad would put some incense on the stove. And I don't know if it was the fact that we were all like became a band of, bro- uh, no, a band of brothers to open up the windows and try to breathe because the house uh. got so smoky. <laughs> and so we forgot our <laughs> arguing <laughs> or if there really was a spiritual yeah. victory that, but, um, well, you shared a little bit from one of his videos, Father Chad's videos about exercise salt and yes. around perimeters of homes. Right. So, tell a little bit. So, um, obviously, he uh, encourages us to use the sacramentals and um, use holy water, but he also said that um, he recommends that you um, take some exercise salt, and I know we are fortunate we're in a parish where we can ask Father Steve for that, um, and sprinkle it round the perimeter of your home. And just to be extra, you know, extra safe, he he says take the Saint Benedict medals and put them on the you know the four corners mm. of your land, so to speak, um, to to ask God for protection because you. And this is sadly the case. You don't really know what your neighbors are doing. 
uh, or what they are um, dealing with um, in terms of spiritual warfare. So and these are, all, go ahead. These are not um, holy uh, lucky charms either. No. Yeah. The reason why they're sacramentals is that because they point us to the sacraments. And so that's why I think it's really important for us to remember we do have power through our baptism. That's what holy water reminds us of. We do have power of being forgiven uh, through uh, the sacrament of confession. That's what things like exercise salt remind us of. Is that and so if we're if we're using these things but not availing ourselves of the sacraments, we've got things backwards. That's right. That's right. They're not totems. mm -hmm. So we need to be grounding ourselves deeply in prayer, the sacramental life, regular confession, and Holy Eucharist, and then availing ourselves of the sacramental. That's exactly it. And one of the things that Father Chad says to people who come to him to say, I think this person might be suffering from oppression or possession, is, okay, regular confession and uh, regularly attending Mass, those are your your biggest weapons against Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, one of the first introductions I had to the working of the enemy uh, was C.S. Lewis's book *Screw Tape Letters*, which is an excellent uh, review. And in his preface, he says that this: uh, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence; the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So for us not to be too fixated, but to realize that there are sacramentals that point beyond themselves to our life in Christ and his saving sacrifice. But if stuff is going on in your home uh, repeatedly, ask for me or another priest to come and bless the house Mm -hmm. and uh, take advantage of the holy water that's in the church. We use the extraordinary form or the uses antiquier blessing, which includes exercise salt as a part of that. And uh, I'm also willing to uh, exercise salt for your use uh, to create a perimeter or however you'd want to use that. All right. Is there any last uh, things that you want to add to... uh our, our conversation today? Oh, just very briefly to say that Our Lady is obviously oh, yeah. the main one and apparently, according to Father Chad, whenever she shows up in an exorcism, it's over. <laughs> just not, I had one experience, actually two experiences with a woman who was being prayed for exorcism and when we invoked Mary and the priest's stole was very powerful because of that sign of authority and then praying the Magnificat, especially the Magnificat, because the mighty are brought low mm. and the lowly are exalted. All right. Well, for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. And Liz. God bless. St. Maximilian Kolbe is famous for having given up his life in the concentration camp of Auschwitz in order to save another man from execution. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider what lessons we can take from the saint's life and how we can apply them to our own life and times. St. Maximilian Kolbe Maximilian Maria Kolbe was a Polish Catholic priest and conventual Franciscan friar who volunteered to die in place of another man in the German death camp of Auschwitz, which
which was located in German-occupied Poland during World War II. He was born in 1894 into a family of five children. At the age of 12, he had a vision of the Virgin Mary. Here's how he described the incident. That night, I asked the Mother of God what was to become of me. Then she came to me holding two crowns, one white, the other red. She asked me if I was willing to accept either of these crowns. The white one meant that I should persevere in purity and the red that I should become a martyr. I said that I would accept them both. In 1907, Colby and his elder brother Francis went off to the minor seminary of the Conventual Franciscans and in 1910 Colby was allowed to enter the novitiate where he chose the religious name Maximilian. He professed his first vows in 1911 and final vows in 1914. He went on to earn doctorates in both philosophy and theology in Rome, but in the middle of his studies the First World War broke out. Maximilian's father joined the Polish legions fighting against the Russians for an independent Poland, but was caught and hanged as a traitor. This was, of course, traumatic for Maximilian. In 1917, while still studying for his second doctorate in Rome, Colby founded the Militia of the Immaculate, which sought to combat the errors of Freemasonry and to win souls for Christ through Mary. The Militia quickly experienced far-reaching and miraculous success. Its first meeting in 1917 had seven attendees. Three years later, its membership had risen to over 400 members. By the beginning of World War II, the organisation had more than half a million members. The organisation's magazine, Night of the Immaculate, which is still in print, had a publication run of roughly one million. In addition to this magazine, Colby produced a radio show and wrote pamphlets and books and thus had a profound influence on Catholicism in Poland. In 1918, Maximilian Kolbe was ordained, and the following year he returned to Poland and taught at Krakow for three years. However, he suffered from TB, which in those days was usually considered fatal, and which forced him to take a lengthy leave of absence from his teaching duties. Nevertheless, He also felt a call from the Lord to bring the good news of the gospel to people in the foreign missions, and he travelled to China, Japan and India to preach, evangelise and establish monasteries there. Later he remained in Japan until he was called back to attend the provincial chapter of his order in Poland in 1936. After the outbreak of World War II, Colby was one of the few friars who remained in the monastery near Warsaw, which he had founded some years earlier. There he organised a temporary hospital. After the town was captured by the Germans, they arrested him but then released him four months later. He refused to sign the Deutsche Volksliste, which would have given him rights similar to those of German citizens, in exchange for recognising his ethnic German ancestry. 
When he was released, he continued work at his friary, where he and the other friars provided shelter to refugees from Greater Poland, including 2,000 Jews whom he managed to hide from Nazi persecution. Colby received permission to continue publishing religious works, although it was significantly reduced in scope. The monastery continued to act as a publishing house and issued a number of anti-Nazi publications. Eventually, in February 1941, the monastery was shut down by the German authorities and Colby, along with four others, was arrested by the Gestapo and imprisoned. At the end of May that year, he was transferred to Auschwitz, where he continued to act as a priest, for which he was subjected to violent harassment, including beatings and lashings. At the end of July 1941, a prisoner escaped from the camp, prompting the deputy camp commander to pick ten men to be starved to death in an underground bunker to deter further escape attempts. When one of the selected men cried out, My wife! My children! Colby volunteered to take his place. According to an eyewitness who was an assistant janitor at the time, while in his prison cell, Colby led the prisoners in prayer. Each time the guards checked on him, he was standing or kneeling in the middle of the cell and looking calmly at those who entered. After they had been starved and deprived of water for two weeks, only Colby and three others remained alive. The guards wanted the bunker emptied, so they gave the four remaining prisoners lethal injections of carbolic acid. Colby is said to have raised his left arm and calmly waited for the deadly injection. He died on August 14th, 1941. His remains were cremated the following day, which was the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. So what can we take from the life of Maximilian Kolbe to help us on our onward journey towards holiness and sainthood? One of the main things that stands out from Kolbe's life is his passion. Not only did he dedicate himself to the love of God and veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also lived out that passion through love of his neighbour. This is a reminder to us that our Christianity is neither horizontal, where we love only our neighbour and forget about our relationship with God, nor vertical, in that we lead an active spiritual life but neglect to love our neighbour. It reminds us of that passage in 1 John 4.19. We love because he loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Maximilian Kolbe's charitable treatment of those he came in contact with is an example to us of how we can love those whom the Lord puts in our path, even our enemies. He was also fearless in his opposition to the anti-Christian ideologies of both the Nazi oppression and the communist propaganda. And that gives us pause. Do we stand up for what we believe? Are we so fearful of being criticised 
that we remain silent when anti-Christian ideologies that we encounter in our modern world are forced upon us? Lastly, Maximilian Kolbe had a great devotion to the Virgin Mary. Father Kolbe may have encountered those who questioned if he loved Mary perhaps too much, and so he assured them, never be afraid of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Jesus did. Of course, for some of us, Jesus might rarely come into the picture. Yes, we have a devotion to the Blessed Mother, but forget that she is always pointing beyond herself to her son, Jesus. As she said to the servants at the marriage feast at Cana, do whatever he tells you. Mary's mission in life centred round Jesus, from giving birth to him, nurturing him, deferring to his own mission in life, becoming one of his disciples and ultimately accompanying him as he died on the cross. She is giving us an example of how to love God by loving Jesus. The life and death of Maximilian Kolbe is a stark reminder to us in the 21st century that the age of heroic charity and martyrdom has not in fact passed. We are being called to follow his example. It puts you in mind of that challenge from the well-known evangelist Billy Graham. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How are we living our lives Does our faith change the way we are living? I don't just mean the frequency with which we go to Mass and confession. I mean, how much time do we spend in personal prayer? How much do we love others through leading lives of service? What provision have we made in our finances for helping the poor and so on? Let's be inspired to greater commitment through the life of Maximilian Colby and stir up in ourselves zeal for the Kingdom of God and love for both Mary and Jesus. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. We finish this episode with a poem by Brian Fink, Hermitage. Hermitage by Brian Fink There are reasons to prefer fall's leaves fallen, when the shrove-tied shriven trees begin to chant matins like newly tonsured monks in monophones in the long or dark. Straining by barn light to mark and hold maple-shaped notes that cling tenuously to branched staffs, then drop down base low, mixing with sand and earthen things, and the last of the cut grass to form a messy mosaic of color and crunch. Twisted and thick and coarse and honest about their ugliness, the trees rebuke the harvest moon and reveal the bare burning scorn of the stars that kindle the bending eastern dawn like shimmering droplets shaken from Leo's mane and who all through summer hid with green-hewn hues Regulus's little laurels, while Venus seduced the sky. But now, and finally, during the first canonical hour of the next nine fortnights, 
when I needn't crane my neck or slow my pace, to look up at lauds upon the mare stellarum as I pass the barren anchorites on my way to the barn. I open my lips with incredulity at the lavish generosity of the trees and the harvest and the stars and my God, who comes each morning to my assistance, who makes all haste to help me. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.